Friends, you are in a war. Last week, we put it really bluntly. Every day, your mind, your body, and your soul is under assault. We are in a war. But often, the battle is different than we think. The enemy's tactics are not what you might expect. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11 says, And a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. The New Living Translation says strategies of the devil. The ESV says schemes of the devil. But my favorite is the KJV, which says the wiles of the devil. That wily coyote, he's out to get you. There's an ancient text that has been the groundwork for uh, understanding and going to war. It's called the art of war by an ancient philosopher called Sun Tzu. And a line that many of you would know that he's quoted often is this, know thy enemy. What are these strategies or schemes? What are the wiles of the devil? Did you know that on October 30th, 1938, aliens invaded America? This is completely true. This is a, 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 a true story. Aliens invaded America. An advanced Martian civilization swept the country in an unforeseen, uncompromising attack. The first wave, it landed in a little know-nothing town called Grover's Mill. It's a farmer's town. It's right outside of Princeton University in New Jersey. Professor Richard Pearson, he was on duty at the Pearson, at the Princeton's observatory, and he was the first person to see the crash. Assuming it was a meteor shower, he rushed to the site to investigate. Instead of a rock, though, he found an alien horde. The on-site CBS reporter, Carl Carp Phillips, he broadcasted this live report on the radio. He said, ladies and gentlemen, this is the most terrifying thing I have ever witnessed. I can see peering out of that black hole two luminous disks. Are they eyes? It might be a face. From there, he continues to describe the terrifying events unfolding before him. And suddenly, the attack begins. The woods are set on fire. Barns and houses explode into flames. And suddenly, the broadcast is cut short, eerily silent. Five long seconds. The broadcast is resumed. And America's worst fears are realized. Aliens have landed. The National Guard was deployed. People were uh, called to evacuate Manhattan. The Secretary of Interior urged Americans to stand their ground. And there was a call to arms. There was pandemonium in the streets. Urbanites fled in terror. People took refuge in churches. Pregnant women went into labor early. People committed suicide. Looting broke out in the streets, and Americans everywhere grabbed their guns, prepared to make their final stands against this enemy. Now, I have to confess I've already lied to you. You may be surprised to hear that this story was a lie. Well, maybe act more accurately, though, it's a fiction gone wrong. See, the aliens was a lie, but everything else was true. In the 1930s, radio had begun to take over, and this first form of entertainment was not just a way to pass time. It held real authority. In the middle of the World War II going on, people had become accustomed to broadcasts interrupting their shows to give them live reports of what was happening, news or uh, things that was going on with the war. And so they were primed and ready with fear, ready for what was going on. Society was primed. It was on the edge of the fear, living through 
the very real war that was going on around them. Cue Orson Welles. In a creative dash to save his less popular and decreasing radio program, came up with this Hail Mary idea of making a live drama show on the radio. So he bought the rights to the famous book, War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells, and he adapted it from this story in Britain to New Jersey. A fictitious story, a dramatized radio program, program, it was taken as truth. The result was death, chaos, unrest, and the quote the New York Times front page, a wave of mass hysteria. As far as we can tell, he had no malicious intent to trick people or disillusion people, but it was a fictitious story gone wrong, but the result was that people believed a lie. Friends, you are at war, and your adversary's weapons are not a pitchfork or a pointy tail. His schemes, his strategies, and his wiles are his words, his persuasion, and his lies in your life. Oftentimes we think of spiritual warfare or an attack from Satan, and we think our minds gravitate to this Job-like mindset. It feels like we are pushing against an invisible wall, or there is a force actively against us. Oftentimes, it can be as little as us just not getting our way. That last parking spot is taken just right when you come in, and you have to park all the way around the block. Cue, not today, Satan t-shirt. Gas prices go up. Satan's attacking me. Honestly, there's times that we think there's spiritual warfare in our life, and maybe it's just more of our own fault or natural circumstances just going around. We think Satan's against us because the day feels ruins. The kids are acting out. You're in a fight with your wife and the car's having trouble. Perhaps it is Satan. Perhaps there is a, a, the un, invisible spiritual forces against your going against you. Or perhaps you were overtired and you spoke to your wife in an unloving way that caused friction, that your kids picked up on it and they started to act out and your car's having trouble because that dash light came on a couple thousand miles ago and you never took care of it. But by goodness, that's devil, not, couldn't it be me? Sometimes we chalk up hardship to Satan when it's just that hardship. And sin entered the world, and the result was contention in our relationships. Parenting would be difficult, and we would thrive or die by the work of our hands. Life got hard when sin entered. And not all of it is Satan's problem or his fault. What once came easily, easily to us now we have to work hard for. By the blood and the sweat of our bodies, we have to attain it. Working hard is not necessarily a direct attack from the demonic. It's just the season that humanity is in. Proverbs says it this way. Those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food of the harvest. If you comb back through the book of Ephesians, you can see the areas that Satan comes against the church. You can see some of the areas that he attacks it in the spiritual realm. And it looks nothing like trying to break down your car to attack you or to break bankrupt you. Although those things could be a spiritual attack. What we see in Ephesians in 4, 14 through 15, it says, Don't be tossed around or blow about by every new teaching. We won't be tricked by lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. 4.18, it talks about the old way of living is marked by confusion and darkness by purpose, purposeless wandering. We read Revelations 2 a few weeks ago when we talked about how the, the mark of this church 
the good things that they were doing, they were doing a lot of good things, and those things were that they examined the claims of false prophets or apostles and discovered their lies. They also suffered and they had no tolerance for evil. They were hardworking and patiently enduring to the end. The whole revelation of Ephesians that Paul is showing, the brilliance, he's saying, I finally have it. There, there's something here I never saw before. That, that apocalyptic moment, that the thing that changed everything was this idea that he realized that Jesus was not just for the Jewish nation. That Jesus was for all people. And a large part of why Paul wrote Ephesians was to bring unity among God's people. Not just the Jewish people, but all people that call Jesus Lord and Savior. It's actually God's flex in Satan's face. In Ephesians 3.10, he says, God's purpose in all of this. And all of this is bringing unity, saying, find unity, bring everybody in, find common ground. We're all God's people. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Meaning that God can bring in people of different age and different gender and different ethnicity, and he can make a unified family out of them. If you're having a hard time with your family, it just feels like they're fighting, just realize that God's saying that unity in his family is a miraculous work in the spiritual realm. So don't be too hard on yourself, okay? The church... God's power in it is saying he can bring all of these things that in the natural, with spiritual forces attacking, will cause disunity in us. But instead, we can have peace with each other. So Satan likes to disunify us from each other and from God, and he does it by spreading disinformation. It's very important because disinformation is very different than misinformation. Disinformation is false information which is intended to mislead, especially propaganda issued by a government or organization or a rival power or the media. Another way to say this is that Satan's tactics, his schemes, his strategies, his wiles all revolve around lies. And Jesus is teaching about Satan in John chapter 8. He says this. He said he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan's purpose, this has always been his way. His purpose is to kill. His purpose is to destroy you. And his tactics or his instruments are lies. How many times have you believed a lie about yourself and it affected your whole life? We just sang a song a little bit ago about, I am a child of God. One of the truths about that is that your identity in Jesus means that he loves you no matter what you do, no matter who you are. You don't do things to attain the Father's love. You don't make your children prove themselves and then you'll love them. You love them because they're your children. But how many times have you come up to God and said, man, I have to do something to be a good enough person for you to love me? How many times have you seen in the natural come to a relationship and said, man, I, I wasn't good enough so they didn't love me? And Satan begins to use those things to seed lies into your life. And when you believe the lie, doesn't matter if it's a lie, it can wreak havoc in your life. His intent was to kill 
His intent is to murder, and his instrument of war is lies, is words. You know, the only account of a face-to-face attack or a standoff between the devil is Jesus in the desert. I actually want to show you a picture of this. And, you know, archaeologists for a long time, they went back years and years ago, and they discovered this very picture of this moment where Satan and the devil are in the desert. And I want to show it to you right now. Right now. Maybe later. Okay, that's fine. That's all right. (laughs) So many times we think that in the desert, we think that fighting against it, hey, there it is. You're like, that was very underwhelming. That was not worth the wait. If you don't know what this is, this is Star Wars, and this is Qui-Gon Jinn fighting Darth Maul in the desert looks very apt. If you don't watch Star Wars, you should watch more. It's a core fundamental of being a member of this church. But anyways, oftentimes this is what we think of the spiritual warfare looks like. It's a fist-to-fist battle with Satan. We think that we have to grab him and wrestle with him and, and fight him. But you know what that battle looked like in the desert? It looked like Satan coming to Jesus and trying to sow lies to him. You're the son of God. Jump from this roof. He'll save you. And what did Jesus do? Power up his lightsaber and cut his head off? No. He quotes scripture back to the Satan. He combats lies with truth. Three times. And so you see, Jesus himself doesn't, the one that if there could be one to fight Satan, he doesn't use physical forces. And you don't see Satan coming against him in physical means. You see them battling with words. It's interesting that the first piece of armor that we are to put on is the foundation for the rest of the things that we incorporate in our defense in the spirit. The first thing that we're supposed to do in order to make a firm stand against the spiritual forces against you in your life is the belt of truth. Would you please stand with me? And we're going to read our guiding scripture for today. Ephesians chapter 6, you can turn there in your Bibles right now. We're going to start with verses 12 through 15. It says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore... Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Amen. You can take a seat. Today we're looking at two of the pieces of armor, the belt of truth and the, uh, the shoes of peace. The belt of truth, the first thing that we must realize, though, is that it's not an idea. 
When we speak of truth in Christianity, it's not an exchange of thoughts or contemplations. We do not compare the truth of Christianity to the truth of Buddhism, to the truth of science, or any other place that our culture might find truth. The truth that we are talking about is not a truth. It is the truth. Tim Mackey says it this way, truth is not an idea that you need to learn. Truth is a person you must encounter. is a murderer who devises and schemes through lies. He identifies and establishes who he is, Jesus. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Saying you will know me and I will set you free. And that's exactly what he did. We sang a song a little bit ago about the blood. We talk about that all the time. If you're far from the church, this is the first time you've ever been to church, that sounds really odd and really weird. But as a kid, you know that blood calls for blood. Somebody punches you on the playground, you're going to punch them right back. And there's this thing that when we and sin entered the world, a price had to be paid. And we tried, and we paid it, and we always came short, or it was always wanting. We always had to pay it again. But then Jesus came, and he died. By his blood, we've been set free. There's power in that. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. In 16 through 17, he says, Jesus told, oh, sorry, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. So Jesus is the truth. And then he sends the Holy Spirit who will lead us into more and more knowledge of him, more and more truth in our lives. Tim Mackey again, he says, being a Christian isn't about arranging ideas in your head in a certain combination. It's about a person who birthed the new creation in his life, death, and resurrection. And this is another ploy of Satan into tricking you to think that you can come to Christianity and just pull out the nuggets of truth that you want. Because there's tons of truth in this book. There's tons of people in the world that come to Christianity that, that don't really believe in Jesus, but they like what the Bible has to say. The moral codes it suggests or t ways it says to live. The ideas that Jesus uh, teaches and we talk about. And pastors become life coaches instead of speaking truth to people. Because people come to the Bible and think, I can take this, or I can take this, I can take this, and I don't like that, so I can leave it out. No, the truth that will set you free is a person. And it's not about just saying, I like what you say there and I like what you say there. There's actually a guy that does this. And we're going to talk, I think, a little more about this next week, so I'm not going to get too far in it. But in Matthew 19, there's a guy that was just really, really great. And I mean, by all accounts, he was just doing everything right. He was kind to, uh, kind to people, you know, no road rage, just spoke really well to his wife, tithed and worshiped, did all the rules right. And he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, I've been doing everything the Bible says to do. How do I get to heaven? Well, see, the problem was that this guy was wealthy. You're saying that's not really a problem to me. I wouldn't mind having that problem. It was for him. Because Jesus' response was, sell everything you have and follow me. And he went away sad. 
See, because it's easy to come to Christianity and say, I like that, and I like that, and I like that. But Jesus didn't come just to give you a better way to live your life. He came so that you can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so you can't just take this truth, and you can't just take this truth. It's an encounter with a person. It's this idea of submitting to following him for everything. Often we'll pray, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. You have lordship over my life. You have rule over my life. I, of my free will, give you authority to tell me what to do. And so you can come and you can take this truth or that truth, but you will not receive the benefit or the meaning or the purpose of what Jesus was trying to do, which is to bring you to the Father. And there's only one way to him, which is through Jesus, a person, not an idea. Paul intentionally... Be the saying in the Bible says, gird up your loins, which means take your robes and your cloaks and tie them up so you won't be tripped when you're running or fighting. The belt was not a decorative garment. It held a very important purpose. It held everything else up. Another way to think of this is that it's really hard to fight a fight when your pants keep falling down. The belt kept everything secure. The belt was the first thing you would put on. It would secure the armor, the breastplate of righteousness, which was coming next. The belt would hold the sword. The belt was an essential to the rest of the equipment. Your encounter with the truth, not a truth, is essential in taking a firm stance. Many half-truths, disinformation, carefully crafted scripts will come your way to dissuade you, to move you. But it's your continued and growing relationship with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit that will continue to guide you and keep you in truth. Your encounter with the truth, the belt of truth, is not an idea that we must assimilate, but it's a person that we must continue to know more and more and more. And freely give our will to. Ephesians 6.15 says, For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. Historian Josephus described these boots the Romans would wear as shoes thickly studded with sharp nails. Some have attributed Rome's military success or military power to the ability of covering great distances easily or quickly. This is the item that Paul links to the good news of the gospel, the peace that comes from knowing the good news. Every season, every hardship, every trial that we encounter, did you know that you can still have peace? I said that, but I want you to really think about it. Every season, every trial, every hardship that you will encounter, and you will encounter hardships in your life, you have the ability to not be wrecked by it. You have the ability, like a, uh, like a ship in a storm, to be blown around but still to be anchored to something. Just because you're in a hardship or a bad season does not necessarily mean that you're out of God's will, that he has a malicious intent towards you, that something's going wrong. It just means that you're in a hardship that he promised. He promises suffering. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. But he promises to be a persistent presence in your life. 
The good news of the gospel is that a far-off God is now accessible and close. In the Old Testament, they used to hire people like me, priests, to be their household, be in their household to keep them in tune in touch with God. You no longer need a priest in your household because you now have immediate access to Jesus, to the God of the universe, every single moment, every single day. He's only a breath, prayer away. Holy Spirit, come. Boom. I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you to say that. I'm here. I know this is hard, but I can walk with you. Can I tell you, scientists have um, uncovered unanimously the greatest pain physically that a human can endure. I want you to go ahead and just give your guess to your neighbor right now. I wonder what that, the greatest physical human pain that one could ever endure in life. Some of you are saying childbirth right now. No, the answer to the scientific question is actually stepping on a Lego with your bare foot. (laughs) Scientifically proven, take it up with science, not me. The greatest pain that you can experience. But you know how that feeling when your kids have left toys out and something, you know, my dad growing up, tripped over something that we left out in the middle of the night, fell face first into the wall and broke his nose and passed out. Kids can be terrible, man. I'm just telling you. And sometimes you're walking through the house, you need a glass of water, you got to go to the bathroom, you wake up in the middle of the night and your shoe, you got no shoes on or whatever. Hopefully you're not going to bed with shoes on. And you're walking through and you know that feeling of just trying to, just kind of trying to feel where things are. My wife got me these really great fur, I don't know if it's fur, but just they're soft and they're awesome and they have the rubber bottom slippers. And she got me those for Christmas and I just love wearing them. And the confidence that comes with putting those on and walking through the house has nothing compared to the fear of tiptoeing around in the middle of night. Friends, that's what the gospel, the good news of Jesus does for you. It prepares you for every situation, for something that you should be scared of. Something that could wreck you. Something that should just totally turn your life upside down. You now have a grounding. You now have protection. You are now prepared to walk into that trial because you have the good news guiding you and protecting you. It's the good news that the battle is won. It's still working its way out. You may and you will experience pain. But you have this promise of knowing that in the end, everything will be resolved. The story ends well. Tears will be dried up. Laughter will come again. Life will have that happy ending. You have a God that is present, that loves you, that wants to be, desperately wants to be in relationship with you. And the good news is that you can have that. Friends, you must meet the truth. But then we have the responsibility to share the truth. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says that 15 will be saved. Isn't that great? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in them if they never have heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? 
That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers of the, who bring the good news. My brother-in-law, a great pastor in the area, he says it this way. He has a whole sermon. It was really good. And he has this tagline. He says it this way. We can bring Jesus to people, and we can bring people to Jesus. Jesus has set you free. He broke addiction off you. He broke anxiety off you. He broke suffering off you. He broke uh, mental instability off of you. He broke all of these things off of you. And he set you free to have this life of freedom. And you experience that. And if you don't experience it, you at least know how to experience it. Lord, I'm feeling this anxiety. I'm feeling this worry. I'm feeling this overwhelmed. Put your burdens on me. Do what you did in the very beginning. You know how to get there. But there are people around you. There are definitely people around you. They're desperately trying to get through life the best way they know how. And they do not have the answer. Friends, you are called to be the light of the world, the salt of the world. Sheep among wolves, you've been sent out. You have received the call to bring Jesus to people. You know, this could look as simply as being doing your best to be a good representation to Jesus, of Jesus to people around you. You may be the only person in their life that knows Jesus. And bringing Jesus to them may look as simple as being a loving, present, focused person in their life. It may look as simple as experiencing the peace of Jesus and walking into an overwhelming situation and bringing that peace with you. It can look as simple as not partnering with evil around you. You go to work and people are gossiping and speaking badly about another person. And it may look just like this of saying, let's give them a break. So I, I, just, I can't participate in this conversation. Just walking away. It can look as simple as seeing a person that's having a bad day and instead of rushing to the next thing because we all have checklists, we all have things that we have to get done. Instead of doing that, taking a moment and being present with them and saying, you look off. Is everything going on okay? Bringing Jesus to people can be as simple as saying, can I pray for you? I, I can't fix the diagnosis. I don't have money to give. But I can pray for you. Would you like that? Or it could be as simple as saying, I know you wouldn't like it, but I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> Just know that I'm praying for you this week. You know, I grew up with this idea that evangelism was this turn or burn mentality. Scare people into the kingdom of God. If you died today and you showed up at the pearly gates, would Jesus let you in? Honestly, I got some pretty good results with that. I got real excited about this one year when I first got set on fire with Jesus. I, I was away at this uh, spiritual Bible camp and I came back and I took each of my siblings one by one into the bedroom. And I said, do you want to die and go to hell? Are you secured in your salvation? I got them all to pray the prayer. You know, it's very easy to influence an eight-year-old. 
You know, sometimes you may have been brought up in this evangelism as almost like a pyramid scheme. Or you've seen the people have just been, just taken it to, put a bad name to it. Friends, you can bring Jesus to people, and you can bring people to Jesus. Maybe the gospel, maybe those good feet looks just like inviting somebody to what your church is already doing. You know, one of our purpose and one of the things we do is to make this building, make this ministry an uh, inviting place. That if you do the work and bring somebody here, a friend or a, a, a colleague or a neighbor or somebody you just met randomly at the store, that we would be doing a good job to represent and to give the message, the good news of Jesus, week after week, month after month, year after year for 23 plus years. You know, since the beginning of the year, about 10 in, in this building have committed their life to Jesus for the first time. Invited them to church. It was a brother or a mother or a sister or parents or a sibling or a neighbor or somebody reached out and grabbed that person and said, hey, I would love it if you came to church with me this week. And they were bringers. They brought people to Jesus. They brought people and just partnered with what the ministry was already doing. Man, I, I don't know how to lead somebody to Jesus. I, I can't quote my Bible well. I don't, I don't know all the scriptures. Or that just really freaks me out. Maybe it's as simple as just inviting somebody to church. Do your best to be a good representative of Jesus to people around you. And then do not be shy at partnering with what, you're, what the church is doing here at Church on the Rock. I can bring the peace of Jesus to people, and I can bring people to church to hear about Jesus. Friends, would you just um, stand with me? To recap, we are to stand firm in the spiritual war that's going around you. You know, I'm not surprised. A little while ago, we were having trouble with the, uh, the, the lyrics, and we, the screen wasn't turning on and stuff. I'm not surprised. And the reason I'm not surprised is because when I went back to the booth this morning at 9 o'clock, Eric said, everything is running perfectly. <laughs> I'm not surprised when I have a bad week and I come into things and God does something amazing, but it's been the worst week of my life. God wants to do something in our lives, and often Satan will throw any obstacle he can into our way, lie or physical obstacle. You're in a spiritual war, friends. Satan is attacking you. Devils are attacking you. His object is murder, and his native tongue is lies. He will seep disinformation into your life any way he can. And the way to combat it is to know the person of truth. To quote Tim Mackey again, truth is not an idea that you need to learn. Truth is a person you must encounter. We must meet the truth, and then we have the privilege of sharing that truth. There's a Samaritan's law that's still in effect. If, if you're a doctor, a first responder, and you walk by somebody that you could have, that's in a medical emergency, and you could have helped them, you, sh you were able to, 
you are legally liable if you decide not to. Every single person here has heard the message of Jesus. And we have a responsibility to not hoard that to ourselves, to but be bringers of that peace to the people around us. Are you just trying to fill this church for Easter Sunday? Yep. Every week, I try to fill this church. Not because I want a bigger building or a bigger name, but because there's people in our community that are desperately drowning, floundering for a way to figure out life. They're believing lies that Satan has them entrenched in. They're thinking, if I just make a little more money, if I find a better wife, if I, if I move states or move jobs, maybe life will be better. But you can do all of those things, and you can still be incredibly unhappy. But you know a person, his name is Jesus, and he is giving you peace in the greatest storms of your life. And you have the ability to be a good representation of Jesus to that person. You have the ability to be a bringer and to invite that person to church. There's a guy in our church, an older guy that's been coming maybe the last year. His name is Stan. He, he took one of, our, one of our information cards, and he hacked it all up. He hired a service, and he put new slogans and new, new mission statements on this card, and he brought them to me, and he said, look, I'm going to fill this church up. Man, that likes our church that's called at home, and he wants to go and bring people into this building. Not so that we can have a bigger name, not so that we can have a bigger stage, but so more and more people will know who Jesus is and be set free by the truth. Amen? Church, I just want to share just a few things really quick. You have one week to think about who are you bringing to Easter service. Why is there so much much emphasis on this? Because Easter and Christmas are the two days of the year that you will most likely or easily be able to get a yes. And so it might look like sharing the Facebook event on your feed and saying, who's coming? It might look like taking an invitation card and thinking, I have this invitation card. Who needs this in my life? It might look like taking the door hangers and going around your neighborhood and just putting them on the doors. And as you're going, just pray, Lord, would this card be well received? Lord, would you bless this house? Lord, I don't know what's going on, but would you help this person to meet and encounter you? And may it well be received, Father. Me and Amy and the kids went last week and we flyered a neighborhood. We took these door hangers and just laying them on there. Honestly, I was just a little nervous. I've done door-to-door stuff and had experiences where people uh, were very adamant that they didn't want me there and that's okay and so I was just going around you just never know who you meet and there was one lady out and so I just you know she could see me and I could see her just putting those things on her door getting closer and closer she's not running away so I'm like okay it's either going to be good or it's going to be bad I don't know so I went up and just said hey uh, can I give you this she said yeah what are you selling not selling anything it's just an invitation I said oh wow this is really cool I like how it hangs on the door Okay, great. Have a good day. Ran away. <laughs> but you can be preparing your heart and that person's heart right now in the altar for prayer and through prayer. Right now, I wonder who is the person that God is highlighting in your mind. You see their face. You know their name. And you know that they need Jesus. 
Whether that's you bring them to church or you just bring Jesus to them. We're about to go into ministry right now. And in that time, pray for them. Pray that God would be softening their hearts. Pray that they would be receptive to saying yes. Pray that they would be released from the lies that Satan's been just dragging him down. Pray that there would be a softness in them. That when you ask them, hey, would you like to go to church with me? Or hey, would you like to go get coffee with me? Hey, can I pray for you? That there would be a yes when you ask. Pray that Jesus and the Holy Spirit does the lifting, heavy lifting for you. Meet the truth and share the truth. I can bring Jesus to people and I can bring those people to church. Amen? Amen. Church, we're going to go back into a time of worship for a little bit and altar team, you can come forward. If there's anything that God's been stirring in your heart, I invite you to the altar. We have workers up here that would like to pray, that would be They've been trained and vetted to pray with you. There's people on the back tables that would like to meet with you and to pray with you and to partner with you. Or if you just want to come up on your own and God's working on your heart and you just want to come up here and just silently stand here and pray and worship, you're welcome to do that. If as an act of faith you want to come up here and you have that name, you have that person, you can get out of your chair and walk to the front and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm walking to the front. And Lord, I'm believing that next week I'm going to walk with that person in my hand and walk them up to the stage. They're going to hear about Jesus and they're going to say yes. Respond as the Lord's leading you. Church, can we just pray right now? Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence. God, we already know that you're here and you're working in, in our lives and in this atmosphere, God, but we just give these next moments to you, God. Lord, if there's somebody going through a hard season, God, would you just bring them relief and peace? Lord, if there's a lie that somebody's believing that's holding them back from the truth of you, God, would you bring that knowledge to their mind right now? Would you break that lie that's been holding them, God, from living the life that you want them to live? Holy Spirit, have your way. Come. In Jesus' name, amen.